the gospel DNA. Well, Pastor Sean gave us a bit of a science, not lecture, but talk, especially aimed at you kids, but we listened in too. But I'm talking and have been about a spiritual DNA. For a number of weeks now, we've, we've isolated factors pulled from Scripture that talk about who we are, who we are as God's people redeemed in Jesus Christ. And we've identified those markers. Maybe you remember them. Well, you probably do because you're going to see them in a moment right in front of you. It begins with a love for the lost. Remember, Jesus said his mission was to come to seek and to save the lost. And as members of the body of Christ, we have the same mission, a passionate love for the lost, a love then that multiplies. Love doesn't divide as though when there's more than one person, we get only a portion, not in God's book and not in ours. That love is 100% all around. And it is a love that is grounded in truth. That's part of who we are, our DNA. It, if, if there's not truth, if there's not a certain foundation, it's nothing. That foundation is Jesus Christ, the gospel. And it is a DNA marker that we are adaptable. That's part of who we are. It's the same Jesus, but how he comes to people and how we bring him to people, well, well that varies. There's adaptability or flexibility. Or I, I didn't use the term last weekend, but it's like style and substance. The substance is Jesus and how he relates and how we relate others to him depend on factors of culture, of age, of circumstance, of the time in history and all the rest. And then comes marker number five, self-sacrifice what we do and must do, what God has done to bring home the gospel, the news of Jesus Christ. It's February, and the special month in our family, all kinds of birthdays, all kinds of them. We've been celebrating, although not together, unfortunately. But there's a lot of holidays that are common to a lot of people, yes? I'm sure you remember February 2nd, when we celebrated Candlemas. And you said, what? Well, that was 40 days after Christmas. As we remembered, at least briefly, Jesus being brought to the temple to be dedicated to God. Most people remember February 2nd as Groundhog's Day. And that's a little different, but it's a festival of sorts. And then there was the Super Bowl. I got away without mentioning that at all last week. Did you notice? But... Everybody knew about it, to be sure. And then there's President's Day. Two presidents in particular that we celebrate this weekend. And I don't know if you remember, but the 18th of February is the day that Martin Luther died. And so among us Lutherans, we remember that, or at least some of us do. Oh, and National Pizza Day. Did you remember that one? I think it was February 9th. I celebrated that a little bit late but I remembered it as well. But then the obvious, the obvious, Valentine's Day, today, 
You haven't forgotten, have you? Nobody seems in America to forget Valentine's Day. Do you realize what a business that is? What a business has been created around Valentine's Day? I I read $22 billion are spent in this celebration. Yeah, that's billion with a B. And I take that as authentic, uh, reliable information. But do you know the history of Valentine's Day? Interesting. It really got going with the Romans as they celebrated something they called Lupercalia. It's an interesting thing that they celebrated. They started off with a goat and a dog, and they sacrificed each one. And then they went about skinning each one. And skins in hand, the men went about their business. Women lined up in a line, and the men hit on them. Well, that's today's phrase. But they literally hit on the women with those skins. As the women lined up and enjoyed, at least to a degree, that being hit upon. Because they saw it, they believed it to be a sign of fertility. All of this was interesting, as then they had a matchmaking love lottery afterwards. And I guess what explains it all is that everybody was drunk as they celebrated. Only drunken people can understand this to have any meaning at all. Gratefully today, well, Valentine's Day has morphed. It's morphed into something a little more civilized and a little bit more focused on what we understand love to be. It's something different, although it's different in many respects. Do you realize, talking about different, how the Bible speaks about love? In fact, there's separate words for different kinds of love. The four you see before you, eros, the Greek, that talked about romantic love, which in many ways in our culture today turns into erotic, which is the seemlier side of this kind of love. And then there's storge, which is a family kind of affection. That's a little different than eros, to be sure. And then slightly different again then is philia. And you'll recognize that, the beginning of the name of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So it's hoped, and so it's labeled, a label of friendship kind of love. But then number four is agape. And this is fundamentally different. This is a love that comes from God and describes him and his unconditional love. No conditions at all. God loves in spite of things and of people. This is the highest form of love, and it has a special name. It's a far cry from Valentine's Day. A far cry. And it is connected, this love is connected to self-sacrifice. The self-sacrifice of Jesus and the self-sacrifice of love we are called to. Self. There's that word. A word worth thinking about a little bit. And you know what the biggest problem we have as people? It's self. 
our self. That's the fundamental problem of every single human being that has ever been. Sin is, as Pastor Sean put it, to the kids what they could understand. A mistake, a problem, a misstep, however you want to say it. But this is in the beginning, something more fundamental and something deeper. Remember creation and very quickly afterwards, chapter 3. The picture is Eve and Adam in the garden. God had drawn a line as he gave them everything in the garden. He said, everything is yours, but don't cross this line. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and not the tree of life temptation entered the scene through Satan, first to Eve, and ultimately it passed to Adam. And the problem, the temptation was about self. God said this, but Eve thought that. Eve began to think, and then ultimately Adam too, that they knew better than God. God said this, but they felt, well, well, no, really, we do want to be like God. We do believe that God has held something back. And so they ate the forbidden fruit. Apple, banana, pomegranate, whatever it was. And they believed that they knew better. And when that happened, they fell a fall into sin. And St. Paul wrote in the book of Romans that when they fell, Everybody fell. That became the part of the DNA of every single human being then, now, and those in the future. Fallen, deeply flawed, separated from God. I guess we can see it most simply, even fundamentally, about orientation towards self in a little baby. Little babies can't do a whole lot, but what they do speaks volumes when that baby is wet, everything has to stop till she's dry. When that baby is hungry, everything comes to a screeching halt until he gets fed because everything is self-centered. And hopefully we grow out of at least some of that as we grow up. But that remains the fundamental problem we deal with every day. And I can't help as a almost trivial example of the selfies we are so preoccupied in taking with our phones and the cameras therein. Self is at the basic root of every sinful act. It's what we call original sin. <clears throat> and you realize, of course, you know how to spell sin. And what's at the very center? I. S-I-N. Because it all revolves around us when we recognize or don't recognize that it's all about God. Name a problem, if you will, that doesn't revolve around self. Hard pressed. I think as you go about it, you won't find a single one. Self, that DNA we're with, it's with us until, until something fundamentally changes that. And that is self sacrifice. 180 degree opposite dynamic comes into play through Jesus Christ. Rather than living self-centered lives, we are opened up to live selfless lives, lives of self-sacrifice. 
This has to do with others and with setting personal issues aside or sublimating them for the benefit of someone else. And where do we see that? Where did it begin? Where did it unfold like in no other place? You heard Pastor Sean read it. I read it. John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this. You lay down your life for one another. Jesus said, you're my friends. That's how he prefaced that. And he did that for us. It's all about Jesus. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross, into death, so that you and I could move beyond ourselves. And what this is all about, self-sacrifice, is all about love. You see how they come together? It's so important. And it is for us that Jesus calls us to follow him. In Luke chapter 9, he connected all these things with us when he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Losing, sacrificing. As Jesus, so we are connected to him, to his reality. We are the body of Christ. To die to ourselves, to sacrifice so that others may live in Christ. That's what St. Paul wrote about in Ephesians. It connects so very clearly. Is in chapter 5, he wrote this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering, sacrifice, we're connected. We're called to live as did Jesus. He's our model, you see. If we want to know how to live, having received his DNA, the gospel DNA, we hold him up. We look at him and we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live such lives. It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us that enables us to do that. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to actually get up and live that new kind of living. And gratefully, there's many, many examples of this kind of living. Amidst all what we don't see as very good behavior, there's marvelous behaviors of God-inspired self-sacrifice. And I'm not talking about Valentine's Day per se. I'm talking about this agape love that we've received and share. You heard read about what Paul experienced. All those things he records in 2 Corinthians were things that he gave up, that he sacrificed, a lack of food, lack of clothing, shipwreck, in the water, being tried, all the rest. And ultimately, he did give his life as it was taken for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then we've got in John's Gospel what Jesus said as well. Examples of how we have and others today can continue to show um, our self-sacrifice. That's in 1 John chapter 3 that looks and sounds like this. This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That's self-sacrifice that comes about through people like you and me in faith. There's a few people who will die for each other, literally. But there are such examples. We see it especially, perhaps, on the battlefield. But we see it also in other kinds of behavior. Christian martyrs who, on this very day, are suffering, and some to the point of death because of Jesus. They're holding on to him. They're witnessing to him. And without dying, there's such sacrifices made in marriage. Not centered in ourselves, but a godly, Christ-inspired marriage makes us, enables us to be more focused on the other and to give things up for the sake of the one whom we love. Others donate organs and without losing their lives, make that sacrifice. And then there's Lent, just around the corner, where so often we give up something for Lent. Hopefully, not just something trivial, like Valentine's Day chocolates or of another day. Or when we give up something significant or take on something additional. And then there is what St. Paul not only recommends, but urges us when he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Not in death, a dead sacrifice. Those are past. Ours is a living sacrifice we're called to make. Our very lives for one another. One sacrifice we don't have to make, however, is one for our sins. That's been taken care of by the self-sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. We talk about celebrations. There's one more that the church celebrates today. That's the transfiguration of our Lord. Do you remember that one? The end of the epiphany, Jesus showing himself as God. It became most clear when those three disciples on the mountaintop saw Jesus for fully who he was. Not just a person, not just a prophet and a teacher. That but also the very Son of God, God himself. They saw it all. This isn't transgender type a thing, thinking and pretending to be something a person is not. This was a transfiguration that showed who Jesus fully was. And that's what the love of God in our lives can do. It can transfigure our lives where our godly nature is shown connected to Jesus. The gospel DNA, it shows itself in that kind of sacrifice. Everything has a price, you know, everything. The price of this is love. The love we've received and the love then we are enabled to pass on. Maybe we could try to find a way to transform Valentine's Day into self-sacrificing love. Not just today, but always. You think? We've come to the end of identifying at least five markers of what our gospel, Christ-centered DNA is all about. But this is only just the beginning. 
a new beginning of living with those aspects, those characteristics. And may God lead and grant us that in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen.